0: This is Papa Smurf. You're listening to Our Lifestyle, the podcast with ODB and the Mayor. Yo, 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 it's Our Lifestyle podcast episode... 295, and we're coming at you here from the Custom Car Show Productions compound. Want to just thank Custom Car Show Productions for the continued support. They just finished wrapping up last weekend, Scraping the Coast, the 20th anniversary. Rest in peace to our dear friend, Greg Miller. And we are super excited to talk to Lauren and others in the coming weeks on how successful the show was this year. I heard it was super hot. I talked to Diggity Dom and it was a scorcher, but we know that. It's the South, it's the summer. And I know a lot of people are always talking about, man, it's so much hot. You know, it's so hot now. Man, I look back at my photos from just a few years ago and it's always hot. I think as we get older, I've always said this. I think it's uh, just like a mental thing as well. So, um, again, thanks to Scraping the Coast. The next custom car show production event is going to be Bayou Showdown. That's in November. That is the weekend before Thanksgiving. And uh, it's a great event. Mike goes out every year now. I can't go. Uh, We do what we call the Tampa Kennedy Cruise that same weekend. That kind of marks about that time period that JFK came to here uh, or came to Tampa, rather, uh, before his fateful trip to Dallas. Well, Houston and then Dallas, and um, you know, we do the big car cruise with the Lincolns, and then, of course, mini trucks and whoever wants to participate, classics, all of that. This is our fifth annual event uh, this year, and again, we're doing ours on a, I think it's 1119. But um, on this episode, what I'm going to do is yes, I got to stick to my guns. I'm going to keep this a, a short and condensed intro. I got to do it. We have Alan Paradise, the You know, We call the OGs the originals. Uh, He's one of the OGs out there, and I tell you what, if you were a mini trucker or you're remotely interested in mini trucks or the history of trucks, I mean, dude, Allen was there at the infancy of Mini Trucking Magazine. You'll be blown away at his resume and some of the things that he's doing, and if you think about the amount of photo shoots that he has under his belt and covers, you're going to be mind-blown, I'm telling you. This is one of the my favorite interviews, man. And we've been doing this a long time. So thank you so much to Alan Paradise for sitting down with us. You can catch Alan also on the West Coast Influence. Go to minitruckfilm.com and you can pick that up. So huge, huge, huge shout out to Alan. And if you're a new listener because of Alan, uh, you've seen this on his Facebook or you're kind of intrigued or you found it however you did, uh, please smash that, that subscribe or follow button. Um, we really appreciate it. We, of course, talk about mini trucks, old school BMX, uh, so much more. Just please uh, follow us. Go back. You'll really enjoy. If you're on some road trips this summer, go back and listen to the audio. We have almost 300 episodes and i um, so thankful for all the, the support we got. The overview of this episode is brought to you by Graphics Mafia. Go to... G-R-A-P-H-I-X, Mafia.com. Hit up Buddy. Hit up Ryan. Let them know what you need. They'll take care of you. Vinyl stickers, decals, a little bit of design work, wraps. They're in Jacksonville, the greater Jacksonville area. But, of course, they can ship things to you as need be. Now, the last episode recap, uh, we had uh, a best of. If you're new, we're basically doing kind of biweekly for the summer We've been uh, three and a half going on four years straight of every Friday, not missing one week. So, to kind of balance the family life and everything else going on, you know, working on trucks, managing the YouTube channel, going to some shows, and all that fun stuff, we're basically doing a best of episode every other week uh, for the summer. And Mike Finnegan was a fan favorite, one of our highest downloaded episodes, as you'd imagine, ever. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot going on, but it was pretty cool to go back and rerun that audio that was basically from four years ago, uh, late July 2018. And, uh, man, shout out to Mike. He's got a lot going on, as I mentioned. Real successful dude. Uh, But, of course, roots to mini trucking, and we talked all about it. Go back and check out episode 294. Last episode recap brought to you by Lone Star Throwdown. Every February... In Conroe, Texas, you'd have to be sleeping under a rock not to know what LST is. LST, uh, we're looking forward to the event next February. It's always the last weekend. The pre-registration will open, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying this, in about a month. So typically in August, I haven't heard of any change. So we'll be first to let you know when it is live. And I know I try to be one of the first to pre-register Um I hate to share this secret with everyone, but we've talked about it with Radar and Lonnie. The first, I think it's 100, I want to say. Maybe it's less. I think it's 100. Receive the goodie bag. It might be 50 or 100, but it's one of the two. There is the goodie bag that you get. And that, to me, is worth just the pre registration itself. You get some cool stuff from Philbill and uh, whatnot. But huge shout out to Lone Star Throwdown. All right, general updates for this week. Again, keeping this one short and sweet. I've been hustling on the electric in my shop at the house here. I did run into a snag, so I'll be updating everyone through YouTube on those videos. Uh, The only thing I'll tell you is I I have been a little behind in editing those. I think I put out part four. I've got part five and then part six I need to publish. And then the update's going to kind of come to kind of let you know some of the snags I've ran into. Um, That'll kind of round out the series until... I get the electric setup, then I'll do another video to kind of highlight how bright it is and stuff in there. General updates brought to you by Joey at Get Decked. We've said this time and time again, if you have a photo or some artwork that you want on a skate deck that you can either give to a child, the skateboard, you could skate yourself, or hell, hang on the wall, hit up Joey Dilworth on Facebook, you can look him up at Get Decked. Uh, two words, he's on Instagram as well. Send him a DM. A lot of these shows like LST, Mini Nats, Scraping the Coast, they have all went to um, uh, expanding their merchandise, okay? And that includes skate decks. And we were one of, if not the first, in the scene to start uh, this kind of trend. Our family over at Hammered Weekend where as well is doing it. And we love seeing it. I love collecting the boards myself. Uh, Huge shout out to everyone that has supported these different brands like the ones I just mentioned. Uh, Hit up Joey Dilworth. Get decked. Uh, Trivia with Mike. We're not going to do it this week. Um, It was ironic because I mentioned recently I did some audio with Lucky from Canada and I did a cool trivia question. Lucky got it right. So I have to get Mike that tick mark, but I lost that audio. So the tick mark's out the window, Mike. But seriously, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to resit down with Lucky and do some audio. I'm excited about that. And uh, Trivia with Mike, although it's not going down this week, unfortunately, I want to give a huge shout-out to AccuAir. Uh, you guys know the name AccuAir. Oftentimes I still have people that go, man, are they back? Dude, we've been talking about it. Ryan has been on. They are back and better than ever. AccuAir.com, just how it sounds. Oh, by the way, don't forget They recently launched merchandise. So air fresheners, hats, keychains, koozies, shirts, stickers. They even have wheel stands for sale. Remember, it was that exclusive group for so long that you had to be sponsored by them. It seemed to get a wheel stand. Well, guess what? No longer they have the Accuware wheel stands in brushed finish, uh, gray finish, and uh, gold finish. Accuware.com. hit them up. And then don't forget... They're also on YouTube. They've been dropping some great content. It's free. All right, the scene updates. Uh, what we're going to do is next week, although, as I said, we're typically going to be doing bi-weekly episodes uh, for the summer uh, with the best of, I do think next week we're going to sit down. Hopefully, if all goes well, we'll get Mike to talk about scraping, maybe DJ Mays as well, and then we'll get LMC from Lowest Common Denominator Podcast, right? Their acronym is LCD, so LMC from LCD Podcast. He was at East Tennessee Showdown. Would love to hear what's going on there. He and I talked the other day. He had an amazing story that he shared that ties into just a, a good uh, feeling story in, in, in what our scene is all about. So I'm hoping uh, that he'll share that as well. DJ Mays, of course, was at Scrapin', so I'd love to talk to him and Diggity Dom. And I just want to give a reminder, DJ Mays, uh, he is on uh, Twitch. So you can look up DJ Mays Radio and you can check out his sets. He does multiple per week and they're all free, DJ Mays Radio. But the scene updates, although I know I didn't cover a lot, got to give a huge shout out to Garage Gear Clothing. Uh, you think about the umbrella of Lone Star Throwdown, well, that includes... Garage Gear Clothing, we've talked about it many, many times. The only brand that we know in the scene that offers free, you heard that right, free shipping in the U.S., go out to garagegearclothing.com. They've got the kids merch, the ladies with Garage Girl, Then, of course, they've got sport trucks, duallys, uh, old-school classic cars. They've got it all on merchandise, garagegearclothing.com. All right, the Key Show updates Really, all that I have to share this week, in in keeping that scope that we've been doing um, a little bit more limited, is that in one week from now, a Southern Tradition is going to be going down. So, if you're a first day listener, you're July first. Basically, next Saturday, July ninth, is Southern Tradition. That's in Canton, Georgia. I'm not sure if Mike's going to go. I'm still up in the air if I can because of this hiccup that I had with my electrical. I might have to now be working on that Saturday to try to get the plane back on track. So more to come. The week after that is the 15th through the 17th Camp and Drag. Amazing event. I've been to it back in 2012. I do want to go again at some point. Camp and Drag is going down. So those are the only two shows I'm going to cover for this week. Uh, and I want to thank again Mini Truck Film. Uh, com. You heard me talk about that a few minutes ago. Yes, you heard that right. If you're here and maybe you're listening you know, for Alan Paradise here in just a couple minutes, you can go to minitruckfilm.com and you can pick up a copy of The West Coast Influence. It's a mini trucking documentary, right? And it's documentary style, and it's so awesome. And Alan will also hit upon that a little bit later. Minitruckfilm.com. All right, so the last two segments I have is uh, next I've got the podcast update. So if you listen to this episode and you enjoy it, and many of you are on an iPhone, go, if you're listening in the pre-installed podcast app, go to, uh, after you've subscribed, you'll go to library, you'll select OLP, all right? Once you select OLP, you'll scroll down, 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 pretty far down, and you can tap the five stars, okay? Please do that if you can. It really helps us out. If you want to go a step further, you can write a review. You could say, hey, thumbs up. Awesome. Love the episode. Alan Paradise is the man. ODB's the man. Whatever you want to say, it definitely helps us out. And um, we can't uh, thank all of the supporters enough for what they do. If I go out there, it looks like our last one was on May 31st. And... Um, We read this one before, I believe, ODB and the mayor holding it down. I've had the distinct pleasure of sharing the mic with Jay Ballard, a.k.a. ODB, a couple times. So class act, I know who that's at. That's uh, Jeff Gaudette. So thanks, Jeff, for that. But please, please, please go out there and leave a rating for us. It really helps us out through the Apple Podcast app. We will read those reviews in the future, as I just did there. And Jeff, if I didn't read that one before, now I have. Thank you so much, homie. The general updates brought to you by our family at Hammered Weekend Wear. We do push more than one apparel company, including our own apparel, because Hammered Weekend Wear features real builds that are great people. H-A-M-M-E-R-D, weekendwear.com. They recently launched the Sequoia. Sequoia. They also recently launched the Chad Luke, Dangerous Waters, amazing four-door Tacoma. Love, love, love both of these. They've hinted at the new stuff, and um, I'm super excited. I kind of know what's coming. HammeredWeekendWear.com. And just know in December, January timeframe, they'll open the open enrollment, and they're the only brand out there that does a T-shirt subscription. It's pretty cool. You buy into that subscription. You get all 24 shirts for that entire year. Wait, 24? It's six times a year times two, right? So it's something like that. <laughs> you get two shirts every uh, couple months, and uh, I think it's 12 per year, something like that. We'll go over the details with them later, but, again, if you want to buy individual shirts, H-A-M-M-E-R-D, wear.com So, I don't have any Airhead Nation updates this week. Again, i got to keep it short. We'll cover a ton. I literally have a whole bucket to cover of different updates from the great people out there that listen or who are a part of our scene. Shout out to all of those wonderful people. Uh, You guys, the listeners, thank you guys so much. Alan Paradise, dude, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. You have an amazing memory, and we were able to really cover a lot of ground. It's a long interview, but trust me, it's worth staying to the end. Stay on the rise, everyone. Have a safe weekend. And oh, by the way, Independence Day is this weekend. Be safe. Don't light any sparklers or uh, crazy fireworks <laughs> without uh, adult supervision. Uh, have fun. And again, be safe. Stay on the rise. We Peace. Hey, hey, as I mentioned just a little short time ago, we're going to roll into a very special guest, someone that's been on our list a while. And it's uh, my honor to say that we're sitting down here with Alan Paradise. Alan, how you doing?
1: I'm doing outstanding, Jason. Thanks for
0: having me on. It's, uh, I
1: it's, uh, appreciate it.
0: Hey, no doubt, man. Thank you for taking the time. I want to remind everyone you can go to minitruckfilm.com and uh, pick up the West Coast Influence. You'll hear Alan speak on there. Um, as well, but Alan, I wanted to just kind of jump in and say, you know, for some of the listeners that may not know your name, can you give a little bit of background about yourself? Maybe also where you grew up and whatnot.
1: Sure, I uh, I grew up in San Diego, California. Um, I'm probably on the gr- more gray hair side <laughs> of the mini truck movement. Um, I got my first mini truck in uh, '73. It was a early Dotson five twenty one, um, and uh, but the real and then got into the truck scene then, but also the car club scene in San Diego and helped create uh, the San Diego Car Club Council, which brought all the clubs together for the first time in the area, and and whatnot. Then, as far as mini trucks go, um uh, it was 1986. Yeah. 1986. I got a, uh, Isuzu pickup and, um, within, I don't know, three weeks, it was lowered had <laughs> tires and wheels on it painted, um, and got involved with the mini truck, the emerging mini truck scene in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, a few years later, I was, uh, we joined this, this idea called the, uh, Southern California mini truck council. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was. I think we've been in it for a year, year and a half or something. And I got, uh, voted in as the president of the Southern California mini truck council. And that was, that was really cool. It was the first time that a San Diego guy or San Diego mini trucker had been, gotten into the board of uh which was primarily mostly in a la orange county inland empire uh los angeles kind of thing um but there was a number of san diego clubs that were involved as were their clubs from as far away as las vegas and uh, yeah because the thing had grown i think we had at some point almost ten thousand members uh if you took the If you took the clubs in each of the club's membership, at one point we had like 10,000 members. Uh, so it was huge. It was a big, big deal. Uh, it, but one of the things I noticed right from the beginning of uh, taking over the council mm-hmm. was that it had a contentious relationship for some reason with... The magazine that really was the magazine that spoke to our group, uh, even though it, it did it only in, as much as it could for, for its time, which was Truckin' Magazine. Mm-hmm. So I didn't understand why the council would have uh, somewhat of an adversarial connection or uh, relationship with the magazine that really could, that we enjoyed and could be, we benefited from each other on. So I reached out to the editor uh, by a guy named Steve Stillwell. Mm-hmm. And yes. I said, hey, I'm, and I said, Steve, uh, I've just taken over the council, and I really want to get together and see how we can work together uh, to help promote the mini truck community in Southern California and, uh, and around, around the globe, if we could. And he was very gracious, and he said, yeah, why don't you come on up? And it was right, I would say it was like uh, February, late February of uh, 87, I think. Anyway, so, um, so we went up, we sat down and talked, and, uh, and he says, what would you think of the idea of uh, just creating kind of a mini trucking magazine? Uh, maybe it'd have, maybe it'd be a one-shot or something like that. And uh, I said, I think it'd be a terrific idea. Um, and uh, so about six weeks went by, and he, and, uh, he goes, "You know, we're going to do this. We're going to do this thing as mini trucking But uh, uh, he had to go to bat with the financial people at at uh, McMillan Publishing mm-hmm. and say because they were going to, you know, it was going to be a one-shot, a one-time thing. And he said, no, 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 no. I think this is, this community um, is really too big to, um, for this to be one shot. We really have an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. So uh, he came, he says, Hey, I I need some editorial content. I need, we need, going to need really to fill this in. And at the time, Steve was the only one on the truck and staff that actually owned a truck.
0: Interesting, man. That's crazy.
1: Uh, the, the other couple of the guys, they were very good. They were good automotive journalists, um, but one of them was more involved with the import performance scene. And the other one was a transplant from Florida that, that had come out and was not necessarily into the truck scene, but a very good photographer uh, and, a, and a fairly good writer, but a, very, a more good photographer. So they didn't really have anybody on staff that was immersed mm-hmm. in the mini-truck movement. Uh, so once Steve and I kind of got to know each other a little bit, he goes, I think he was thinking, well, here's a guy that's not only immersed in the mini-truck movement, but he can also talk pretty pretty uh, fluently about full-size truck, custom trucks, hot rod, street rods, muscle cars. You know, he's kind of got a background in all this stuff. Uh, this might be somebody that, uh, we could fit in here.
0: Interesting. So he had,
1: yeah. And he had n- really no idea what I was doing for a living or anything, but, um, uh, the first issue of mini trucking, um, kind of pick, we kind of, this, uh, talked about different things and he goes, okay, we're going to need some content. We're going to need some access to some of these really great trucks and things. So I kind of lined up like half a dozen of the trucks that were in that first issue. And at that point he says, you know, he goes, would you like to come, you know, you? do you think you'd like to come on, you know, do this as a living, come on staff. And I said, yeah, I think I I could do it. I knew I'm pretty good photographer. I've got some equipment. And he, and, uh, he actually told me, yeah, but you're going to need more equipment, better equipment. Uh, he goes, but can you, can you string some sentences together? Can you write? And, uh, I remember I wrote, he goes, can you write me a story about your truck? how it came about you know it came together so i did that and i sent it up to him and he he called me back and says who wrote this and i said well i, I did <laughs> he goes this is this is this is way way too good for you to be able to write if you've never done this before." <laughs> i said well i kind of have a background in education in english so i can understand how of put together a sentence and stuff. And and what what makes a story good? You know, you got to have a a a, a, a beginning, a middle and an end and tie the end to the beginning. And, you know, you make a good story if you do it. Because at the time, most automotive journalists in that sect were more like creating a laundry list of, you know, it has this part and this part and this part. Well, I would try to create stories that told how knowing, how the car was built, the truck was built, why it was built, yes. and who helped, and, and, and how it all kind of called, came together. So needless to say, you know, I, I went on staff for trucking and mini trucking. And uh, I think that was exciting. Steve and I were, you know, very tight and uh, got you know, got to know each other really well and got to underst- and I learned a lot about how you put together a publication mm-hmm. that's effective. The components, where they fit, how you make a good mix uh, of content between what types of feature trucks, whether they be the full on show trucks or, and part of the part of the method was is to not fill mini truck in or trucking for that matter, with great, all the great show trucks, Mm -hmm. because you got, you got to have, you have those, but you got to have the good street trucks and you got to have things that are old and new and in between, because you want to represent everything that's going on in the community, not just one segment. Yeah. So that became very important. And more importantly, it became in mini trucking because mini trucking was such a dynamic uh, community. It was growing so fast and um, that there was no way to slow it down, uh, and just segment it into the bet- the bitchinest trucks on the on the planet. because oh, yeah. that wouldn't it wouldn't service the community very well. It wouldn't service, and it didn't matter if you were from Southern California or New England. You know, if you if you're only going to show a the elites, you're leaving out
0: the masses. Yeah, and, and you want to uh, cater to who yeah. your readers are. You know, so if your readers are you know, owning these different trucks, you don't want to just have one thing. Yeah, and it, you're, you're absolutely
1: right, Jason. And what's what happens is, if you do that, you shut out the dream of you know, and the the uh, the uh, what what you're trying to build. You're 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 blocking that out. So what we wanted to do was say, no, this thing is about. Cool stuff you can do, cheap stuff you can do, flashy stuff, uh, performance stuff. Um, you know, it's about the whole thing, and it's about the shows, the events, the cruise nets, whatever it is that this community that makes it on fire. We want to report on it, and that's is that goes into. I mean, I mean, how many times we did stuff on just window art, mm-hmm. just logos, you know, because everyone could get could get involved
0: exactly.
1: and we wanted everyone involved and we in those in i can tell you those painted windows were some of the coolest things about being in about being in the, the mini truck world hmm. because there was a time there was a time you could not drive on the freeways of southern california without seeing dozens of painted windows everywhere and time you drove you could see trucks in the in the background, in the you know up ahead of you. You know, rearview mirrors. You could see the painted windows, whatever it was. But there were hundreds of them all the time. That's how cool the community was, and everybody was like, you know, giving you a wave back. You know, it was there was no animosities. It was a gigantic community, and it didn't matter if you were uh, from a club in San Diego, if you were a club from. From Riverside, or if you were guys that came from Vegas, or you go to Phoenix, I remember traveling around with many, you know, covering stuff into Texas and Florida and the Carolinas and and uh, up into into the Northwest and everywhere. It was like this thing.
0: We yeah, were all like a one big group. Yeah, it was like a wildfire, like you said on how it grew. Yeah, and because of that, what happened was.
1: Subsequently, everyone that got hired on staff at Truckin, from that point on, it was it was proven you could take an enthusiast and and train them to be a photographer and a journalist and a writer in this community, but you couldn't take a journalist and make them an enthusiast. So it was it changed the formula, and from that point on, uh, I remember. Uh, Brian, when Brian McCormick came on board, we actually—he was in the Navy, and we were at uh, world's greatest event, Bonton. Yes, is better known. Better known, and he—we were talking. I was I was going to photograph his blazer as a feature, and we got to start talking. And he was getting—he was coming out of the Navy, and he wasn't sure what he was going to do. And we started talking about, you know, if he could maybe do this, you know, and he was like. You know, Brian was never a guy that was lacking on confidence, mm-hmm. and, and and one of the things that was interesting is he was probably the coolest guy on the planet. Yeah, you know, he was just he just you know the world slowed down for him. He was just a cool guy, you know, and he had he had a cool demeanor, and so he, you know he met with Steve, introduced, did the introduction. He met with him. And they had two met and they hit it off. And he came on board. And that's how where Mike Sharks just came from as well, through the same process. And that's where Courtney Hollowell come, came from, the same process. I knew Courtney when he was like 16 in wow. San Diego. And uh, when an opening came up and he, you know, had gotten a little, he'd matured, gotten, you know, into, uh, uh, in the early twenties and uh, uh, suggested this to you, hey, you should look at this guy's, he's, he's, he's got a great sense of humor he's a good photographer already. Um, and he's, he's a unique kind of personality. So he, he, he should be able to we should, you know, look at the formula of how to write a story mm-hmm. and get in it. It was like, and it became very, very quick for him. And so he came on, on board. So, you know, that formula started to really kind of change the dynamics. Oh yeah. And, and it was pretty cool. It was so, you know, when, uh, when, when, we were this group at, at McMullen, in, in the, evolved into McMullen and Yee Publishing, but we were this group that was like the cool kids, you know? And we were like the country club. We had it going on. And uh, the guy, you know, the staff at Street rider and whatnot, and Street rider was always like the big magazine oh, yeah. at McMullen. And then Truckin' came in, and the mini mini truck and the trucking came in and then we we just ran right past Street Rider in t- circulation and ad and ad sales and uh, popularity. We just we just you know walked right past them. And uh, you know it it changed the dynamics of the
0: company. Oh yeah. As well. Yeah, it definitely did. And you know, as we talk more with Alan about some of the magazines and how that stuff cropped up. I'm kind of curious, too, to find out, like, in your younger years, you know, in the cruising days, um, you know, in California and stuff like that, uh, you know, recently, uh, Paul Morton had shared um, an article about Rick McCloskey, and, you know, Rick had put out uh, a book, I haven't gotten it yet, uh, but Summer of 72, and it talked about, you know, the, the cruising culture and some of the things you hit on. When you were growing up in Southern California, were you into, like, surfing and things like that, or... Um, how did you find yourself kind of getting a, uh, attracted to, like, the car community, I guess?
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, I grew up in, in uh, a suburb of San Diego. And uh, from a very young age, I was building model cars, playing with Matchbox, you know, uh, uh-huh. collecting Matchbox cars, and eventually Hot Wheels when they got introduced. So, um, but on the street I lived on, there were a number of guys, that older guys, that had cool cars. I mean, there was a guy with a Max Wedge Dodge. Uh, there was another guy with uh, a 409 Impala. His brother had a, a, um, a Nomad, 55 Nomad. The guy the kid next door to us had an SS 396 Camaro. So uh, even even that gives kid that guy's dad had an SS Impala. So there were a number of really cool cars that were hanging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, the, but the thing that really cemented it all, uh, when I was 13, um, there was a, uh, an older guy that had the 409 Impala that lived. We could see his house from our house over, you know, over the fence in his backyard. And one day, he had this thing on two 55-gallon drums, and he was like spraying primer on it. Hmm. So I, like, I looked at it, and I go, what in the heck is that? That is, <laughs> and I went, oh no way! And I ran around the block, jumped his fence, and said, "Dave, what are you doing?" And He goes, "Well, I'm building a tea bucket," and he had this tea bucket body that fiberglass on on these drums, and he was just you know sanding it and priming it, and every day for the, for a summer, for a full summer. He would get when he got home from work. He'd open the garage door to his house. He lived with his parents, but they had this big shop garage in the, behind the house. I could see it from my bedroom window when when that door opened. Mm-hmm. I would run around the block and get in. And every day for awesome. the summer, when he, I would help him build this car. I was just there. I was just being exposed to it. Yeah. Um, and you know, he was cool, and you know, I was. Wrenching on a few things and handing them tools and doing all this kind of cool stuff and when he had this thing finished uh, a few months later after he had it finished, we went to the he entered it in the uh, custom car rod and motorcycle show um, in downtown San Diego in the community, old community concourse and I went down with him set a help set up his display you know put the bark out and so it was like being and completely accepted and immersed and you've and even at 13 14 years old i was like hanging out with these older guys that had these really cool hot rods but i felt like part of it. and that was something i never wanted to once you get a part of that you don't want to ever not have a part of that mm-hmm. uh, it, so you know when i got old enough and got my driver's license and stuff and had my first cars and stuff, and and uh, that that Datsun pickup and and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it was like never leave anything alone. It <laughs> nothing can be stock. Um, it has you're always in, in change mode, and you're always part of. you it's like a magnet. You're just drawn to it, and and other parts are drawn to you, and other people are drawn to you, and you're drawn to them, and you created this community. Of uh, enthusiasts that became your friends, and you never wanted to let that go. Yep. So uh, it was the driving force in it, and although it was really uh, strong for me then, when the mini truck thing was, especially from like like '86 on, it was like the thing to be a part of. Oh yeah. Uh, and even after, you know, having muscle cars, having Corvettes and all this kind of stuff, when I got, you know, and I I really got that second, that Isuzu is kind of a everyday thing, moves and haul some parts around and go back and forth to work kind of thing. But it became so quickly became like, this is the coolest thing ever. And it's not because it's not because the truck was so cool. It was just like all the energy that was happening around this community was busting loose. And it was on, you know, and I remember cruising in the 70s, you know, the muscle car, you know, muscle cars were now the thing not to have, so they became the cheap thing to get. Uh, That Dotson helped parlay me into buying three Corvettes in a matter of like eight months. Holy! Uh, Because nobody wanted them. I mean, gas... (laughs) I'm telling you, Jason. Gas went from 42 cents a gallon to like 65 to 70 cents a gallon. Yeah. <laughs> what you say that, you say that now, and you go, "Really? We need to return to those days." <sighs> right. Uh, but everyone was freaking out. And but it was because the gas went from that, and in the in the oil embargo of '74 went that crazy, that all of these established names like Pontiac and Chevrolet and and, and Oldsmobile and Plymouth, and, and whatnot. They became the cars not to have. And all of a sudden, these new cars from Japan became popular. Oh, Datsun, Toyota, you know, Mazda. Oh, look, Honda makes more than than the motorcycles. They make little cars. All of a sudden, those became the cars to have. And when those cars became popular, guess how, what else became popular? Cheap small little trucks yes just exploded and in the mid 1980s the least expensive vehicles that you could purchase were little trucks oh yeah compact trucks and so and not only were they inexpensive they were you know you couldn't destroy them they they would (laughs) run forever uh and they were they were so easy to customize so easy to personalize you know, for most people, you know, you got your, you got your Toyota or your, your Datsun or then Nissan or whatever. And, uh, you could, Hey, you just turn these torsion, crank these torsion bars down, put some blocks on it, you
0: know, tires and wheels and you're there. Done. Exactly. Yeah. You're enjoying, you're getting like instant gratification. You're cruising and you're having a damn good time. Yeah. And when you, when
1: you, when you hit up, you know, uh uh East Valley Parkway or 2nd Street or um you know or Main Street in Chula uh or Highland Avenue and you know and all the areas in San Diego that we used to cruise in. And you would go there and there would be, oh look, there's like dozens of us out here.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, different
1: areas. Yeah, now the funny thing is is that Second Street, which was the cruising spot in the area that I lived in, uh I actually wrote because that's what I do now, is I'm a screenwriter, um, and uh, uh, I actually got a script called Second Street that we're circulating around Hollywood right now. Wow! And it, it and it's it's about hot rod street racing scene, muscle car scene uh, in nineteen take, taking place in nineteen seventy four to through seventy six in that era. Wow! So it's 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 a it's a really cool script. It's it's the effect of American graffiti. Yes. On, on the car culture. So, uh, but that swings us around to West Coast Influence, which you brought up. And um, anyone you guys that have not seen it, you should see it. It, it's, it was, you know, it's a nice documentary. But um, Jason, are you uh, you're familiar with the skateboarding scene?
0: Yes. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. If I, if I tell you, if I say the greatest documentary on the skateboarding scene was a film called Dogtown and Z-Boys.
0: Yes. It's epic.
1: It is. The producer of that uh, at Rhino Films is a friend of mine. And we've worked on a couple of films together before. When I showed him the West Coast influence, I said, I think we need to work with uh, Radar and the guys and make this the next Dogtown. Dude. And, and he looked at, he looked at it and he says, this is what I've been looking for for eight years. I'm looking for a cool subject like this to turn into another Dogtown and Z-Boys.
0: That's freaking awesome.
1: And so we started on this path uh, to do that. Um, And uh, the, the, one of the keys about Dogtown and Z-Boys is that it was funded by Vans Shoes
0: yep I remember that uh, and it's,
1: it's a Vans off the wall production. production So and it, be- it, and it became the model of how to do these cultural um, documentaries yep. so we've been kind of looking for a uh, somebody who a, a company we were kind of looking for a company that kind of come in and want to brand to this community ah. like Vans did to Dogtown and Z-Boys Oddly, we have not been able to break through and get somebody to say, you know, and it's not, we're not talking about a ton of money. We're talking about, you know, at this point between half, maybe 500 to 750 grand to create that kind of film, to take the West Coast influence, get some more footage, uh, go out and acquire some event, more event footage, more things and put it in with the interviews. And then acquire the right t- soundtrack for it, and then go out and because what we want to do is create that um, that kind of film that you could take to the festivals like Sundance Film Festival yes. and 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 show it and win it, and then then ha- then take it to, to uh, the theaters nationwide as the same formula that uh, ha- that Dogtown and Z Boys went because Dogtown and Z Boys when it was showed at Sundance Film Festival one best documentary.
0: Yeah, it was so and good, man. So welly so well produced. So imagine the Dogtown and Z Boys
1: with uh the mini trucks with <laughs> mini truck community. And it and it's all there. Radar started with it and it's all that was the, the all the foundation for it is there. And we just want to pump it up and, and and because it has the same feel that the original Dogtown and Z Boys had before Rhino films and Steve Nemeth got involved yep, yep and and then once he got involved they expanded it and enhanced it and moved it into that um, film festival uh, kind of field that's what we want to do with the West Coast influence
0: yeah and if you think if you think about um, like how awesome to your point you know these documentaries are and you know it made me think of like when I was a kid, you know, talking about I got into the 60s Lincolns with Suicide Doors. And, and, you know, I've heard stories in the late 70s. It was like, man, 400 bucks for one of these cars, right? Because, like you said, the big engines. But then I remember in 89 watching Gleaming the Cube, right? Christian Slater, you have Tony Hawk, and, you know, you have the 65 Lincoln in it. And, you know, it's this cool movie. Didn't do crazy at the box office. But then you fast forward all these years, Alan, and, you know, Tony Hawk's Until the Wheels Fall Off, that documentary comes out. And it's just mm-hmm. on HBO, I mean, it's so well produced, but it's like these stories have to be told, man. I mean, it just, it kind of gives you goosebumps when you watch some of it, man. Oh, there's no doubt.
1: And there's no doubt that the mini truck um, movement of that time period has all of those elements in it. Uh, what, what, and what, it is so true, what was going on in Southern California was played out across the nation, and there's only one reason why it wasn't that we were that much hipper and cooler than everybody else in the in the country, because that's not really the case. What was really the case was that's where the media was. That's where Truckin' and Mini Truckin' magazine were at. Like the Rapture, so could,
0: BMX Plus, like all that cool stuff, was going down out there.
1: Yeah, all that publishing empire was there. So naturally, what became the easiest stuff to uh to get was all that was all that southern california stuff and it so it naturally had that influence into florida and the carolinas and oregon and washington and nevada and utah and idaho and all that kind of stuff texas was a little different texas took a lot texas didn't do just what we were doing because we were doing it. They took what we were doing and going, how do we do it a little differently? How do we do it like Texas would do it? So they were always kind of had their own little thing going, which was really cool and respectful mm-hmm. that they were able to, that they did that. Uh, that. But it still stemmed from what everyone was seeing on the pages of mini truck and magazine and truck and magazine.
0: Oh yeah. And,
1: and even, even other magazines tried, to jump into art, to that game, you know, Hot Rod magazine even did, you know, did it once. They tried to do it.
0: Yeah. And I had posted that the other day and I appreciate you chiming in because when it was either radar at the West coast influence or my friend, Jason Redden, they had posted that, you know, six, eight page, uh, deal that they did back in 88, ironically enough, around the first mini truck and, you know, issue kind of that summer type deal. I wanted to kind of ask you when you think back, you know, that ties into that right there. Do you think that they caught wind that, that something was coming or did they, you know, was there a buzz in the industry? Like, Hey, you know, Steve and Alan and some of these guys are getting together and they're getting ready to launch something. Let's throw something out and see if we get bites on it. Well, I, I think what I, in a, yeah, I think very much what was happening was
1: this. They were looking at truck and magazine at, you know 126 pages and all of a sudden it was like 198 pages 228 pages it was just growing and you would look through those pages and you would see oh sure you'd see the f100s and you would see some you know 55 through 7 chevys and you would you know see some of that kind of in some of the newer chevys and things like that but you were kept seeing these you know these uh, the seven twenties and the six twenties and yeah you know, these cool Toyota Hilux car you know trucks and and all this these mini trucks and you would see this coverage of these three day runs which were like three day insanity parties um, and you go God there's a lot happening here we need to tap we need to tap into this a little bit because they were looking at a stagnant advertising market and mm-hmm. hey any anyone who doesn't understand that that magazines consumer uh, driven magazines enthusiast driven magazines are funded by advertising yes. not by not, not by newsstand sales right, that, right. Uh, or, or ever um, it was the advertisers that really made something uh, more profitable and made the publishing company say we want to do it because they don't do it just for the exercise they do it because it makes money and we were making money. I mean, we had advertisers just dying to get into truck and magazine. And there was so much happening in that space. There was no way to cover it all without hurting the other truck enthusiast base. As far as advertisers and readers, they would not want to read everything that there is going on with guys that were 16 to 26. They wanted to, you know, so Mini trucking had to happen. And, um, but there was so much happening in trucking with it that Peterson Publishing, the rival to McMullen, uh, and the big, you know, they were the big dog on the block because they had Hot Rod and Car Craft and Motor Trend and, you know, uh, and all that. So they had, you know, the big, huge um, uh, newsstand selling titles. So, and, you know, McMullen had all the enthusiasts the really die hard, you know, dyed-in-the-wool enthusiast books, Truckin', Street Rider, um, BW Trends, and uh, uh, Street Chopper, and that kind of thing. So, when they were seeing all this action, they going, we can't not jump into this because there's too much going on, there's too much advertising potential here. The difference was, is that nobody up there on, on uh, Wilshire Boulevard, which is where Peterson was, none of them knew the truck market like right. we did, the custom truck guys. We knew what we were doing because we were part of it. Steve was involved. He had, at the time, he was building a very trick uh, 57 Chevy, very trick truck. He had a newer truck that he was, you know, he was working on. We were connected with the enthusiast base uh so we knew what we were talking about we knew how you know what the reader wanted to wanted to read and wanted to see because we were part of that mm-hmm. uh, and they weren't so it was kind of this hollow effort to do it and i think that what the the way they did it was it was cool but they weren't they weren't ready to sustain that issue after issue yeah
0: they did a kind of as like a onesie boom and it was like it was cool maybe their sales bumped a little bit from kids finding a younger generation but then boom they moved right back to their normal formula yeah and i think because most
1: of the time you know many of those readers many of the mini truckers that found it went oh cool we get we're legit we're in hot rod yeah but they would read that story and they go yeah but it's not as cool as Truckin.
0: Right, right. They're not <laughs> yeah, Truckin had been around just for, just to be clear, you know, you're basically going on about 13 years give or take because, you know, 75 to 88, right? You know, give or take. So so Truckin had already been on the block.
1: Yeah, and Truckin spun off. Truckin was a spin- spin-off magazine from Street Rider.
0: Interesting. Um
1: yeah and, and that's where actually when steve started working at mcmullen years he was working on um street chopper because he was a biker uh and uh but he was a truck guy and so street rider the guys at street Rodder, said, would you write a column a page every issue on the truck market you know f100s the old the older chevys that kind of stuff and all of a sudden that became like one of the most commented sections of street rider. And it was like, we need to spin it off. And so that's where trucking kind of came from yeah, it's uh, was that, yeah, from that popularity. So it was very cool. And Steve was unique in uh, not only in McMullen, he was unique in the entire uh, automotive publishing world because he had a he had a sense of what the reader wanted, and how to lay out, a, and how to lay out a magazine, and how to train guys that you know starting you know I was fortunate enough to probably be that first guy, but um, how to kind of say take somebody who's in the space and make them professional.
0: Yeah, and I want to just interject that you know when rest in peace. You know I've said it on the podcast you know we lost steve unfortunately the world lost steve last month and Mm -hmm. one thing that i don't think alan that most people realize especially you know listen i understand you know when you're younger you're like ah you know you're living 100 miles an hour and you're like i don't care about the history and stuff but i want people to know that steve like you said he had like that sense and he had the vision that if we if those publications, like the the stuff with in and, and, you know, that gets curated and spun off the mini in and, you know, Sport Truck comes along and then boom, you know, Street Trucks obviously had that epic run was starting that pub, that book, like the amount of contributions that Steve Stilwell had to our scene is mind-blowing, and I really think that it's like we may not... Like, trucks, as you know, are so ever-popular now. You know, they're you got Ford going, hey, we don't even want to make sedans anymore and things like that. You know, trucks and crossovers and SUVs is where it's at. But honestly, like, Steve had such a big role in, in the custom truck world all those years ago, and it, we're still seeing the effects of it, in my opinion, man.
1: Oh, you're absolutely... you're dead on. And there is and I was going to tell you that the evidence is there and you, you connected all the dots. The reason the truck market took off like it did is that we had this entire, um, generation that had compact trucks because we were all young and Mm. they were, they were cheap and they were easy, you know, they were easy to deal with and we all became just great, you know, on fire enthusiasts. When we got older, Right, and started having families. It's not like all of a sudden we went from getting a truck to saying I'm going to buy an Impala. Yes. You know? Right. We, we go. We're going to buy. A full oh, size. We want <laughs> we want a full size truck, and we need something with more space. So you know we'll get an SUV. But do we leave it alone?
0: No. Yeah, we
1: want to. We want know?
0: something cool, man, a nice, a nice <laughs> grocery getter, soccer mom, whatever you want to call it.
1: <laughs> so. We were infused with a new link of DNA. Yes, that's that says we can't leave it alone. We, you know, it's it doesn't matter. It could be a Tahoe, but it can be a really cool Tahoe, um, and it can it can service the needs. You know, we can take the kids to Little League or to soccer, or whatever. But everyone else, you know, everyone else can have a stock one. But we're going to have ones with tires and wheels and a little bit of paint, and you know. Nice, you know, nice appointments and it'll just because we cannot not have that.
0: Yeah. And, and so, if you think about how like the short bed and the you know, long bed, you have the regular cabs and then you're like, okay, extended cabs come along. We all, we all know Steve loved the Phantom dualies. I'm a big fan of those, but those come along extended cabs are like, man, freaking awesome. But then you have the rise of like OBS goes, Hey, we're going to put out a crew cab, you know? And then now uh-huh. look at where we're at. I mean, every, Every truck sold, I mean, hell, Chevy's not even selling the short bed standard cabs anymore. I mean, everything's a crew cab. I mean, you know, again, you can see that progression uh, through those years.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I have a 2006 Silverado standard box, you know, standard cab short box, Uh black, lowered, you know, and I've had it since it was new. And I think, think within six weeks, it was. Yeah, know, tires, wheels, you know, Ibox spring, Kony kind of shocks. It's, a, it's
0: and, in your blood, Alan. It's in your blood.
1: <laughs> but today, I still have it. And I, I think it's got, believe it or not, it's got like, it's, it's 2006, but it's got like 62,000 miles on it. So, wow. uh, but every time I drive it, every time it's driven, people dig it. They just, because they're going, they look at it and I go, wow, there's just something about it. I, and, and you know and i know what that is it's old school right it's a new it's a new truck that's old school it's standard cab short box lowered. you know yeah i've seen and, the
0: photos uh, of it. it's freaking awesome
1: and uh you know so it, it's just that's cool you know um and uh yeah and i i do i, I have a muscle car that's um uh, actually it's been in the family since 1967 so you know so it's that's that's the one that never leaves and uh it's just it's kind of old school too you know it's 15 inch you know uh torque thrusts on the back 14 inch torque thrusts on the front so it has a certain stance to it and people look at it and go wow that that car it just sits so right they can't put their finger on it but and you go yeah because there it's got bigs and littles and they go bigs and littles i go yeah 15s on the back 14s on the front and i you know i didn't go to you know 17s 18s like a lot of guys are doing with then you know with chevelles and camaros and stuff no it's 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 uh it's 14s and 15s it's bigs and littles it looks the same way it does now that it probably looked in 1967 um but that's why it looks cool because it hits an emotional touchstone in them.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. When that's, I drive the, it. that's the Falcon, right? Yeah. That's the Falcon, yeah.
1: Sixty seven yeah. r Code Falcon. Yeah. Um, you know, Hypo two eighty nine and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it, but it's been that way from forever. Yeah. You know, uh my wife drove it to high school. Um when she was in high school, our uh Oldest son drove it to high school when he was in high school. So, and so you know, listeners, I've just dated myself. Um,
0: um, But uh, how ironic is it though that the color is a similar color, right, to your Datsun that you had? Yeah, it. Yeah, that
1: that Datsun is that kind of that that pea green, you know, thing. This and this is uh, a green gold, you know, uh, color that it's original color, it's original paint yeah so uh, but it was very popular by ford in the in the late 60s this was their most popular color you know a lot of mustangs a lot of uh fair lanes and and uh, ltds and galaxies were painted this color and cougars and whatnot it's a very popular color people look at it now and go yeah that's an ugly color yeah but it was really popular back then yeah. um which is why probably so many of why there's so few of them around because so many people repainted because oh, yeah. yeah. later on they became a color that wasn't popular. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, that Dawson was kind of that, you know, that funny green that was real popular back then for that, you know, for those trucks. And uh, you know, later on, not so much, yeah. but it doesn't and, matter.
0: And being a, a huge fan of the sixties Lincolns, I love all of those different colors. Like, I look back at the, the different paint codes and, you know, I've got a blue 64, uh, you know, Huron blue and, you know, th- then you had, you know, the Fiesta reds and just awesome colors. And I mean, I just love the 60s, man, that even kind of the mid-century modern is a big term that's thrown around a lot. But, you know, I know you kind of get into the late 60s, you go, well, maybe not mid-century, but, you know, just that style is, is awesome. But um, I want to ask you this, Alan, talking about mini trucking. One thing, you know, I have went through every issue. I have all the issues, and I've kind of went through and sliced and diced all the data, you know, what trucks were on the covers, what wheels, you know, who shot them. One thing, as we start to talk a little bit about, you know, the original mini truck and logo and stuff, I, you know, from from what I've seen, you shot the first five of eight covers. So, right, so you had um, basically, you know, after Doug shot the first two, you come in and basically shoot all of them in a row, except for Brian had the spring 1990 cover. I think that is is underrated that you know you had this new publication come out and we we hinted at it a little bit right with Steve and how it started and this idea and you 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 asked hey man let's let's sit, you know got to run something by you and he says come on down let's have lunch. How awesome is it to think though like the you were there at the infancy and literally shot the first five of eight covers, dude.
1: Well, you know it was. Uh, thanks. It was, it, it, it was interesting because the first cover that Brian shot, you know, I was there, we were doing it together That's and awesome. I said, you, and I said, Brian, you, you know, it's time you, you shoot the cover. you make, you take the shot. I think that was the one with Linda Sobeck, um, and, the um, uh, web, uh, spider web, uh, web, bed web guy. Uh,
0: we shot yes, that at a, uh, rest piece yeah, we, though.
1: Yeah. Oh, she was terrific. She, you know, she was a real nice, a really nice person. Um, and uh, but we shot that at a storage garage facility in Anaheim. And the reason we, you know, we picked it out was I remember, you know, we used to I used to drive by it every day going into the office. And so they had these color, different colored doors. And it was always a challenge to find a cool place to shoot in the city. Uh-huh. You know, in a city, but and because you didn't want to get poles and wires and you know ugly buildings and whatnot into the background so you, you had to kind of find a place that you could find this background to shoot against that it didn't take away from the vehicle that you were shooting so you know as we when i saw that i went hey Brian, i got this cool place we should go check it out so we did and And we, and it turned out to be the perfect place for this particular shot, for this particular
0: The colors of it. And then the spray, you know, the stuff that was super popular, like at parties and stuff. I mean, dude, that came together. Awesome. And then her shirt, mini trucking on it. I mean, dude, that's epic.
1: Yeah. And it was, it was kind of neat because, um, to get to a point to shoot a cover was a big deal. And Brian was such quick study. I mean, he hadn't been on staff that long, but he was so quick at looking at things and going, how does that formula work? And, um, and he was such a, he became such a good photographer so quickly. It was mind blowing. And, and, you know, and knowing that he he was just, he just had this persona about him. That was just so cool. And um, uh, he had so much confidence that um, in what he was doing. And it was like, dude, you need, you know, you shoot it. Uh, You know, it's, it's, and do it how you think it works best. And he just owned that. And from that moment on too, he just, you know, uh, he he would go to an event and he would come back with so many features and so much stuff. Uh, He was like so good at it, at, at doing that. You know, I was a good photographer and I had shot, I've shot maybe over the years, uh, in the different automotive publishings, maybe a six or 700 covers. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but most people don't, most people don't even know that because they're not, uh, you know, uh, my automotive journalism range is beyond the truck market. The sport, I mean, I
0: sport compact and all that
1: sport compact. I mean, I did British motoring. I've done, you know, Miata magazine, cruiser quarterly um celebrity garage uh i started hci magazine um and uh then i did i did a uh, uh, consumer or a trade magazine for the tuner world called you know uh tuner market um that was short lived and then got sold off to another publishing company i did two two magazines for ford motor company um for the racing division and then another one for their svt group so i've done a lot of different magazines over the years
0: uh tip of tip of the cap to you by the way dude you're probably the only one i know when we had doug starbuck on alan he's had a lot mm -hmm. of covers from you know obviously that he painted right as far as trucks but dude that's that's amazing so i just wanted to get that in there you know congrats because that's Uh. that's a many lifetimes uh, of work man so so good stuff
1: yeah, you know, but, but Brian was a really quick study and just took off and him and him and Steve were like, you know, we're like peas and carrots. I mean, they were, they got tight really fast and they, they, they just, you know, it was great. Um, so, and I said, he'd come back with so much stuff. Um, you know, funny thing is a lot of people ask me how come my truck was never on a cover, you know, cause I had a. A nice little Zuzu that had a two-port injected engine in it, uh, out of a Camaro, and he eventually had a you know nine-inch rear end in it, but it was four-linked and
0: uh, tilt, bed, you know, tilt right. bed. Yeah, you
1: know, it was it was a really nice truck. It was really, and I had that. That was the same Zuzu I had. That was all that before was all was you know rainbow painted and uh, and uh, you know had a whole Hawaiian thing going on. But we had changed it, pulled that motor out, put that, that motor in and the Camaro and the tranny and everything. And uh, the, the funny thing is, people have asked me over the years, how come your truck, that truck was never on cover? And I remember that the thing about mini truck and magazine is, is that at the time we were doing four issues a year. Yep. And if I were to put my truck on a cover, that's one issue that somebody else's truck wouldn't have been on a cover. Damn. Yep. And uh, and so I was just never comfortable with doing that. Uh, I always felt like there was there was so many there were so many worthy subjects out there that I'm not gonna you know I don't need to do that for this you know at some point it might happen but you know if we get an extra or we need something on a pinch but we only did four covers a year at that time yeah and then eventually did six but um, it, it was just there was so much to to do and doing those first covers was. Really interesting because it was, we did some, of course, that were the basic formula, you know, car, truck, you know, truck girl kind of thing. And then we said, okay, we need to do some lifestyle stuff too. We need to keep showing it as, that there's, there's a lot going on and it's not always the same formula. We can't, We need to stretch it a little differently. And um, so we did that too. And, that, and that, it was just, you know, it was great people involved in the community that we get a chance to deal with um it was really uh, the cover i really enjoyed shooting was the david harden red hot
0: yes
1: um, we yes. had you know i i had went to florida for this little this event and the uh, it wasn't a big event it was just an event and uh it was it was the funniest thing was it was in, it was in melbourne florida yep. And so, you know, uh, my wife and I—we flew. You know, she would go with me to all these events, and that was a wonderful thing. If, if any, of you have an opportunity to have a a spouse that's into what you're into, it's very special. So we went to Florida, and uh, we land in this, you know, Melbourne airport. It's not a big airport. No. In fact, they didn't even have—they didn't have jetways. You had—they had the steps that pushed up to the plane. And so we come off the plane into this little terminal. And I remember it was funny because uh, we walked through this little hallway, and I turn around, and there's a sign that says, To all gates. <laughs> and there's only one, there's only like two gates. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All the gates are right there. Uh, but we got out into this terminal, and all of a sudden, there's like 100 people waiting. And it was all these mini truckers. That's and cool. It, it was so funny because we, 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 I rented a car I get a rental car. So went to the, I said, okay, guys, Hey, you know, it's just like cheering. It was like, I thought maybe Michael Jordan had gotten off the plane with us <laughs> or something, you know, but then, no, they were there for me. And it was like, this is crazy. You know, uh, just a mini trucker from LA with that's, you know, gets to work out of magazine, yeah. but so I went and got my, my rental car, we're driving in a caravan. <laughs> a mini trucks to the hotel where we're, we're, we're the, 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 where we're going to stay. It was this Hilton hotel in, in Cocoa beach. And, uh, <clears throat> it was like this, they, these guys could not get enough of the fact that we were, that, that we were there. They were part there. And I was like blown away. They're part of the family. They're part of the mini truck family. And they came out in force. And I remember going to a meeting uh, club meeting that night and they were there was no only their club this one club there were like six clubs that came from all over the place because i was gonna i was gonna be there yep yep and they just want to hear what we had to say they were so ready so hungry for what was going on
0: Yep, it goes back uh, they, to they, like steve having that vision and you guys seeing it and you guys running with it you know as far as this whole mini trucking thing
1: oh it was it was it was so exciting and so humbling to be, you know, to be a part of that uh, and to be looked upon at, that mini trucking was the, the was like the word.
0: Yep. A couple of quick things. Um, so we're talking about issue five. So fall 89. The ironic thing is David has reached out to me. I'm going to have him on as a guest. I go to a show in 96, right? Kind of in high school and go with my buddy, Paul. And we see Red Hot for the first time. Full blown outdoor display. And after that, the truck gets put up. So, you know, you're talking seven, eight years after you guys shot it. Truck gets put up. You probably heard some of it or probably seen some of it online. It basically gets juggled around a couple places, makes its way up to Canada. Thing had just Mm -hmm. literally sat with like a drained gas tank. And and for the most part, it was just, dude, it was curated. Now, um, late last year, mid last year, Alan, a guy in Melbourne bought the truck back here I am about 45 minutes from my house this past May. I go over to Made of Steel, and I get to see the truck again. So I hadn't seen it since, since 96, dude, and I feel just blown away, man. And it still looks as good as the day as you probably shot it. Oh, yeah. In fact, I tried to buy that truck. That oh, guy beat me to it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I heard me. there was they a can... little bit of a bidding war or something going on.
1: He, he, well, they beat me to it. I was going to go to up to Canada and I think it was in Ontario wow. or something and get it. And, and I contacted and we were going back and forth and I just, and yep. somebody out beat, beat me to it, but because uh, I wanted that truck bad. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it's an iconic truck. It there were, is. there were, and, and there are a number of really iconic mini trucks. Okay. Um, raw deal. One of them, yep. uh, Joe Fontanella's little truck that was on covered three or something or two or three three or four.
0: Oh yeah, uh, issue number three, spring '89.
1: Yeah, um, and Red Hot was one of them, and probably the other one is mach- Machete. Uh, a lot of people don't know what Machete what machete is. It's the Dodge D50 with the tornado engine in the back right, that was built right. in in Las in Las Vegas, and and I saw that truck from its inception built. And um, it was—it's such a—it was and now it's—it was sold to, I think Gene Winfield, and he chopped the top and painted and stuff. And, uh, not excited about that. It's not but.
0: the one that turned in. Was it the yellow one? That later it was
1: white in. with okay. it was white with ghost with red ghost flames. Okay. It was an, an ISCA champion. Got it. And that's saying not saying something for a mini truck. It was an ISCA, you know, touring show car show truck and and it was a it was a class champion and it was in contention for uh, isca national championship um fabulous unbelievably cool truck um and uh but there are only a few i mean trucks that you can you go i remember that truck and it was like the thing and david had built one of the things and uh you know, red hot and, and Davis. I haven't spoken with him in a couple of, in decades, but one of the nicest guys you'd ever want. Yes, yeah.
0: He and the guy. I got to get him on. Now, let me ask you this. So, I I know we exchanged some comments one day, and you had commented about the mini and magazine logo. So, the oh, icon- yeah. the iconic thing is. You know, we're talking about issue five, fall '89. So it's got red hot. It's shot in Florida. You know, you were showing Florida love even back then. That was the last issue. Now, of course, the logo didn't change. But you know, from issue two to issue five, the logo was that uh, kind of pinkish blue colors that became the first sticker. right? So I've got an unpeeled one thanks to my friend Jason Redden uh, with his different brands down in South Florida. But the logo itself, can you talk to us a little bit about it? Because I think there's a story there on maybe how – because it's slightly changed from issue one to issue two.
1: Yeah, issue one – there was our art director at the time, was this older guy uh, who was you know, a long time pro. And, and back then, of course, there was no computers. Things weren't done in PasteUp, they were done manually. Yeah. And uh, so Steve wanted to say, hey, I want this, I want a kind of a, I don't want a block letter, standard font kind of logo. And so he kind of sketched something out and the art director came back with something that was the closest thing he could figure out, which was <laughs> called, which was, which was called Frankenstein. It was broken boards. If you look at that first issue, that first logo, it is broken boards. Got it. And so that was as close as they could come up with at the time. And we we're looking at, you know, for issue two, it was like right after the issue came out. I mean, and I was on, i just come on board. We went, you know, and Steve was not happy with it. He goes, he, he he wasn't, you know, and this was one of the things about Steve that was really cool. He was never completely happy with anything. He was <laughs> satisfied, uh-huh. but he, did, he refused to be content Got with it. it. He always wanted to drive something to make it better. How do we make it cooler? How do we make it more relevant? Now, yeah. you know, there was many genius things that people do, and particularly people that McMullen didn't fully appreciate uh, uh-huh. about him, about him. And that was one of them. And he was always so cool about everything. He rarely got pissed about anything.
0: <laughs> he that's always good. That's had a good boss to have. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. He was he always had a way of just keeping everything in perspective and finding the best Figure out ways to get the best out of everybody that he w- was in contact with, but so he looked at this thing and uh, uh, went, God, there's it's missing. It's just not. I mean, it's okay, but it's just not right. Yep. So we we were talking. I go, you know, there's this new style of uh, paint that's come out. That's everyone's kind of into, and it's been around for a couple of months, but it's kind of getting. It's called dry brush, and uh, he goes, Oh yeah. He goes And So we looked at some, you know, some photos that we had of some of the vehicles, some of the mini trucks that had it. Cause we were, you know, mini truckers were driving the trends that everybody else was going to follow. The right. muscle car guys, the full size truck guys, the hot rod guys, they're all following whatever we were doing. So we're looking at dry brush and I said, you know, I think that'd be cool to do this. Uh, he goes, yeah, yeah. Maybe we could, you know, put some kind of a grid or something back there because logos back then, all the banners had to have a backdrop on it so they could fit over any kind of photograph. And when you photograph the cover, you had to keep that in mind to keep that this have space at the top part of your photo for where that banner was going to go. Got it. So, uh, so uh, we kind of, you know, kind of messed with some, you know, we were neither one of us were artists.
0: <laughs> right, right. I'm not <laughs>
1: But a very close friend of mine was one of the best car paint, you know, painters, custom car painters in, in Southern California. The guy by the name of Rob Taylor. Um, And Rob had painted my Azuzu originally and um, done all the airbrush work on it and all the graphics and everything. And and most of the guys that were in San Diego that were in the mini trucks, they would go to Rob. Rob would paint their trucks. Wow. So, uh, so I brought the ideas down to Rob and said, Rob, we want to, what'd you think about doing dry brush? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put this grid back behind it, this gray blue bird grid behind it. And we'll run over it with pink as a hot color right now. And that kind of thing. And, and so he actually, uh, in a, in a matter of about an hour and a half painted the first mini trucking which became the mini truck and logo. Wow. That's cool. Uh, And he, and he painted it just, you know, like on a, uh, on a board, you know, and, uh, you know, a a paper stock, uh, uh, almost like poster board. Thicker is more, you know, artsy and, uh, you know, put the tissue over it, paper over it. I brought it up to Steve and Steve took one look at it. And we, we both were just smiling. You're like, that's it. (laughs) <laughs> and within 20 minutes, we're down, we we drive down to the prep house for the magazines was down the road from the offices. Uh, we drove down there. They put it on the, on the camera shot photos, you know, um, cause they have you know, a special static camera for it uh, and uh, half toned it, shot photos, but it was done. Stickers were out. <laughs> and that, that, logo held up for quite a long time and to me when i see mini truck and magazine it's not really mini truck and magazine unless it has that logo on it yeah
0: Yeah. and and what's ironic or iconic i should say is our friend jason bell you know he has since over the years taken over southeast mini truck and Nats, and that truck has a long history going on almost 30 years now kind of different owners but he is so he's such a great dude. And, and, and the, that, that's one of the best shows in the world for many trucks. It's still yeah, strong. No what's cool is he's recently incorporated in some of that original branding of it. Right. Cause it, it kind of has that long history. And to me, when you think about it, I mean, like you said, it's, it, it's hard to say, uh, you know, is mini truck and mini truck and without a original logo because it's so iconic.
1: Yeah, and and you know tip of the cap to to Peterson publishing or whoever whatever they call themselves these days that eventually because you know, they acquired uh, the McMullan Yee group and and things like that for not uh, yes. going after every, everyone who wants to use it because it is um, even though they don't do mini truck and magazine anymore, and you know, we could have a whole different discussion yes. on that demise but yep. uh, but for saying, Leaving it alone and letting our community continue to to, um, to yes. embrace that logo.
0: Yeah, and not going after copyright stuff and things like that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, I always wanted to ask, uh, like this. So right, so we're talking, uh, you know, to Alan Paradise. And again, thanks for your time. One name that com- that comes up in the magazine for the first two issues, um, and I don't know if this is who you were referring to earlier when you were talking about trucking and things, but Doug. E. Culp. Okay, he. I, I've never been able to really track down much other much other information. Um, Doug shot the first two covers, and if my calculation is correct, he shot four total covers. A couple later on, seems like he had a connection, maybe to Florida. Um, do you remember working with Doug?
1: Yeah, I met Doug, and in, in fact, the first uh, in coordinating the first the materials for the first issue the vehicles first issue. That's who my, who I was dealing with. Ah, That's, you know, you know, Steve says, Hey, you know, you know, work with him, get, you know, you guys work, find us the right car, the right vehicles. And that's, you know, of course we had uh, the the slammer eye and uh, some others, Uh, but the slammer eye had a whole different story on its own. Uh, but anyway, but that's Doug was a Florida transplant. He had moved from Florida to LA. Uh, went to work for uh, uh, for McMullen and at Truckin. Uh, and was and like I said, he didn't own a truck. He wasn't really a truck enthusiast. Although he immersed himself into the field to satisfy what he needed, what he needed to know to, to write the stories and to do the photography he was doing. He was not. He was lasted through the second issue. I'm about halfway through this production of the second issue. He had left the company. Got it. He left okay. the title, and I think he went back to Florida yep. after that. Uh, but um, nice enough guy, you know, and good, really good photographer.
0: Yeah, um, and it's cool. We like to draw those those you know kind of names because you know we're we're very I mean especially here at OLP we're very thankful for. I mean, I always give credit. You know, even being able to own the first year of Truck and Magazines and. I mean I own so many magazines sometimes I'm like man I, I need more space but it, you know I often will say and you you've said this in the West Coast Influence when you talked about you know when it's when it's in print it's there forever right you know and you mentioned kind of websites can go away I've seen some of my favorite music boom gone from streaming platforms right then it's like oh I got the album right then <laughs> talk about old school but when you think about all of the history, the dates, the features, the covers, some of the iconic names of these trucks, it all came from you guys. You know, the early guys, the old, the true old school, is what I say. That that like literally laid the foundation for where we got to. Where you know, this is where we are today, and and I'm forever thankful, man. Forever grateful. Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, shoot. Uh, heck, that's that's nice. But I, I tell you, I would have. The the most fun, and uh, again, one of the one of the <laughs> names you saw in, in, in the early uh, staff box was a guy named Larry Savedra.
0: Yes, uh,
1: and Larry Larry was the guy that owned the little trick little uh, Scirocco. Um, okay. and he was very much into that import performance scene before it became a popular deal. Yep, and Larry was Larry was a you know a good photographer, but he was really kind of a funny guy and a a good writer, um, and, um, didn't, you know, wasn't, didn't embrace the truck community as much as, as the ones that, thus that came after him, but he Uh was a very, he was a good, good writer and a, a good photographer, but, uh, smart guy. Uh, we would have fun coming up with the stories. How do we tell the story of this truck, of this truck owner and how he built it? And, um, it, you know, we would, when we photographed a vehicle, we would give, you know, the, the owner, we'd give him a text sheet, we'll call the text sheet. And it would have, you know, all the vital information, not only just about, you know, name and address and phone numbers and all that kind of stuff, but what, you know, products he used, things like that. But it, the, really the stories came on the backside of that text sheet it was blank. And we, you know, I would try to talk to the owner and go, tell me about it. I mean, what drew you to it? Why would you do this? And why did you do that? Who helped with that? What did you and, call,
0: you know, do you have a name for the truck? All that kind of stuff.
1: And if they didn't,
0: you know, I would try to come up
1: was be fun. Larry and I would try to come up with <laughs> the clever names of, for the story. Yes. And coming and then coming up with a creative way to tell the story. Uh, so that was entertaining, yet, you know, it wasn't just the typical laundry list of parts and people. There was actually woven into it yeah, the the motivation <laughs> yeah. and some kind of maybe comical thing that happened to it. I remember I did a story once where I didn't photograph, it, or it came from uh, another source. It was a truck from, from Tucson, and it had this squish kind of graphics on the cover. And uh I think everyone in the club had a some kind of cartoon character painted on their car. And this guy had Roger Rabbit on their tailgate. So I came up with this as like who squished you know, it was I said, Who squished Roger Rabbit? And this whole thing came about the story about, you know, running running over Roger Rabbit and being the squish and how this happened and then it came, went you know, went through the you know, there was this whole storyline and it was really kind of one of the most satisfying things to print the story, I'd give it to Steve, and Steve had an office that was, you know, we had cubicles, he had an office, but to hear him laughing as he's reading it, it was like, okay, we really got something going here. We got, so we just kept finding, come up with neat, cool ways of telling the stories of the trucks. And it became important of how to do that. And I think, you know, what later became an entire career of, of, creative, of writing started right there in that little petri dish of an office
0: yeah and how ironic is it you know when i was in high school i hated writing and as i got older like no joke like i would read i loved reading brian's editorials you know in trucking and then into uh street trucks i told him we've had brian on great guy and mm-hmm. the, reading all of those editorials and those features over the years helped me so when i got to you know, now I, I, I write a column for street trucks. You know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. And I've written different features. But but I got to thank, you know, guys like you because, like, the structure of it on and the beginning of the story, like you said earlier, you know, a little bit of facts about it. You know, you kind of you don't make it too boring. You bake in those key components of the build and then you tie it in and you end it like that. I mean, literally, I went from hating writing to, hey, this isn't so bad. Like, I like it. Uh, from reading editorials, you know, like you guys, so I mean, it's pretty cool, man.
1: Well, I think you know, one of the fun parts is is having the freedom of breaking loose of structure and going, okay, we we have to follow a certain thing, you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end, but to actually have some fun with it, oh, um, yeah. and and you know, helped out a few people, to kind of understand that you don't have to be. You know, you don't have to go like your high school writing class, you know, or you have to do things a certain way. And this wow. has got to be, you have a little more freedom. Yeah, and yeah, and it, it's, it's played out. I mean, like I said, now I, now I let me sit at my screen now all day and, and write, <laughs> write, write movies, you know? It's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's really interesting to be on set when you're one of your movies is being filmed. Because actors are saying things because you wrote them. Yes,
0: yeah, so you think about, yeah. And and I want to talk more about that because, you know, being a huge fan of, you know, you talked about American Graffiti and think about George Lucas and, and you know, I'm a big Spielberg fan and, and you think about, you know, the Goonies and Chris Columbus, he kind of got his break, you know, in those early years and it just, there's so much to talk about there. Um, you mentioned Roger Rabbit. So recently we had the anniversary of that epic movie. Again, kind of, Um, you know, from, from Bob Zemeckis and, and kind of, um, directing that one. But I also wanted to bring up, so how ironic is it this? So uh, Top Gun, one of, you know, the all time favorite movies, you know, they recently dropped the sequel and everybody loves it. I had shared the cover that you shot. I had waited a while because Top Gun, as you know, got pushed out, but issue number Mm -hmm. four, Mazda convertible top fun with the hot graphics ground effects. That, to my knowledge, that's the only jet airplane, okay, or, you know, uh, fighter jet that was on the cover of and Can you talk to us a little bit about, Alan, how that came about? I mean, because that's one of the most epic covers.
1: Yeah, that was – we were shooting at an Air Force base in Tucson. Uh, and the mini truck was – I slipped that in. Ah. That – we were supposed to we, – We there was another uh, April – April 89 issue of street Rodder. We shot the same day, same place, same set. And it was a, ironically, it was a roadster pickup that we were shooting out of Tucson. Just gorgeous. And we had all the things, you know, we had all the arrangements made, um, where we had the ship. We had the, the, uh, the plane, the flight crew, the, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the support crew and everything all there for us. They dragged the plane out where we wanted it. They were all standing by. And so we were <laughs> shooting this cover for street rider, uh-huh. but I knew that I'm going, there's no way we're wasting this day. So a few days before that, I said, you know, we're going to do a, we're going to do a mini truck the same day. Same, right. You know, We're going to shoot it right before we shoot the street rider. We're going to do it even before we shoot, shoot the street Rod. So that wasn't, that whole thing was set up and I was in Arizona and we were shooting a bunch of stuff. And, and so it was, this was something that um, the guys at street Rodder, the, the editor of street Rodder, says, Hey, I got this really cool uh, roadster pickup. While you're there, would you shoot it? And I went, okay. And so we set it up to shoot it at this, like I said, at, with this, with the plane and with the jet in the, in the background. And, but, when the moment we as soon as we got on knew that we were going to be able to get that the idea was we got to get a mini truck into this Yeah thing.
0: and that was awesome because I've seen that cover now that you say I know which one you're talking about and man that was like the execution right the, the planning ahead man how how freaking epic
1: Yeah and you know and it turned out that that I thought the mini truck and cover really was better than the street rod cover but it turned out that that street rod cover became one of the most iconic street rod covers um in their, you know, the, in, the, in the publications history. And it wasn't, it was just opportunity that I was there, that I was going to be there. But as soon as we had an opportunity to get on base, it was going, no, we're not just shooting the street rod. Uh, that's, that's great. But we got to hit a mini truck out here. And, uh, so that was fun stuff. I think that was, we were working with, yeah, it was hot tops then. Yes. That, and, uh, and, uh, uh Jim Piccolo, I think was the owner owned Hot Tops at the time. Really cool guy. And uh did more for the mini truck community than most people realize. They you know, they don't recognize that name very much. But he's he in fact, I think Jim and I were inducted into the uh mini trucker hall of fame the same year, the same day. I saw the so, so. same time.
0: Yeah, I remember I remember when his name came up and he was on the um uh, the list.
1: And uh super neat guy, very innovative, very smart, uh, really you know, kind of a marketing genius kind of guy.
0: Anyway, uh,
1: so that's when we shot that there. Um, it, it, it and it turned out we couldn't ask for a better day to shoot. It was overcast, which meant we had this really nice diffused soft light to work with. Um, the, the fun part was is after we were shooting, and everybody else had left. It was just me and my wife and the grounds crew and this pilot. Oh, really? We,
0: we got to go up inside the plane. We sat at the plane. That's awesome. Yeah, because, I mean, even though you're talking 89, you're still reeling from the success of 86, you know, blockbuster Top Gun.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we, we actually were in – the uh, and uh gone on the plane lowered the canopy whole thing it was just it was uh, it was pretty cool and like i said we you couldn't ask for a better time we didn't have to worry about traffic we didn't have to worry about controls of any kind we were just there to shoot and to have that mini truck part of that was just was really neat and then um a few years later we shot another vehicle that you probably another cover you might remember but it was for trucking it was a peach Azuzu.
0: Yes. Oh yeah. I love that. That's a cool cover. I've got that issue.
1: Yeah. And we shot that at the Phoenician in um, Phoenix at the resort. And it it was a similar thing. We just, you know, just planned ahead, arranged to have, we had the, uh, I think we shot that on the 18th green or something. And, uh, you know, just having all the right elements, and was just a matter of planning ahead to make that happen. But when we shot, funny thing is, when we shot the the cover with Red Hot, and what was that issue number three or four?
0: Yeah, five, I think. Yeah, five. Five,
1: and we we're it, it, that was done completely on the fly.
0: Yeah, because it was kind of right. Because I mean, be me growing up, born and raised in Florida, kind of looks like you guys maybe back down one of those, and then right up to the sand, and then boom.
1: Yeah, and we ran over to uh, the biggest planning we did. is like we, I go, we, you know, we got to capture, you know, something about the lifestyle of Florida mini trucking. And wouldn't it be, you know, in the beach, I mean, we were at access to the beach. We we're right there. And Ron John's surf shop was just down the street, the original Ron John. And we went in and we said, hey, we need this, this. You know, I just walked, talked to the managers there. And I said, I need this, 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 and this for a photo shoot. Oh, okay they were cool they just
0: there you go took whatever
1: we want wetsuits surfboards whatever you want yep yeah <laughs> and we just and we just we completely shot that on the fly and i think and we shot the feature story for red hot at a fire station in Cocoa beach
0: yeah it came out so good man and that that is just a fantastic f- photo shoot
1: and it was and again it was a matter of just going okay how do we, let's play this together. We got red hot. Let's get a fire station. We just pulled up to the fire station. I went in and talked to the chief, and I said, we want to do this, this, and this. And they were like, the whole crew came out and said, what do you want? What do you need? You need the, you need the trucks out and what lights on. What do you That's want? That's cool. You know? And it was just like, they were as excited to have us doing it. And it was just, but you got to have a little bit of a vision to go, this truck is way too special just to shoot at a parking lot. Yep. You got, you got to have something cool for it. And we didn't, I didn't have access, you know, and I was never one that liked shooting in a studio, you know, because it was so stark. Mm-hmm. I, I liked having, I liked having life around, around the, you know, whatever we were doing.
0: Yeah. Uh, and like so, the, the raw deal, for instance, like those first couple of, I remember a few of them looked like there was a roller, actually that covered, there's the roller coaster in the background. Like to me, like yeah. I, I did, I appreciated as Sharks this became the editor, you know, he, you know, you started getting the late nineties, you know, 10 years later, you know, there were a lot of indoor photo shoots that are iconic, but these early ones, man, like that one with raw deal and then the lifted Toyota and then the theme park in the background. I mean, just fantastic.
1: Yeah. And that's an a very, that was an iconic roller coaster. It's in mission beach in San Diego. Um, and it, they were, and they were in the process of restoring it, and it's been restored, and you can ride it again. And it's uh, it's really quite bumpy and rudimentary, uh, but just the fact that that was right on the beach, uh, which again played to the understanding of part of what when you say San Diego, yeah. you think of beaches, you think of that kind of atmosphere, and that was a pretty heavy cruising spot a lot of the mini truck community was to go that to that area uh on friday nights or saturday nights and congregate so it, it kind of played into that space and um again it was just a matter of two things planning a little bit of planning and being having a little bit of uh of guts just to clear things out of the way and get it
0: done yeah you know yeah and and since we're on a roll i mean i was thinking so the other two covers we'll we'll talk about then is we had sal napoleon right so sal his truck Mm -hmm. runs on issue six i see you looking right kind of with that license plate rally in vegas the crazy Mm -hmm. thing you you probably know this about sal's truck basically he gets on four covers including mini trucking Mm -hmm. and trucking and the truck looks totally different every time. And I t- I've told people, I'm like, dude, that's a run that, that you'll never see. I mean, you just don't see that. You know, like maybe like Doug Starbuck, okay, first guy, he's on the cover twice with his blazer. Totally get it, right? I mean, there's a lot of trucks over the years, as you know, on different publications more than once, sometimes three times. But four times with four different looks, I mean, dude, that's just insane. Yeah, he, he, he was a
1: really creative guy. Really, really a fun guy um, to be around. Just always, you know, always something to be laughing at and with and stuff. He was a very creative guy, and uh, yeah, I think I think the one cover you're talking about was maybe the first time it was on. And you're right, it looked completely different every time. You would never know it was the same truck unless you know. um And that was that was fun. We had went to Vegas. And they were, you know, they were going to have this um, the club was having this event, this mm-hmm. uh, uh, navigational gimmick rally.
0: Right, right. Uh,
1: and we went. This is perfect. This is this is what we're talking about. This the is the lifestyle, uh, the lifestyle thing that you need to keep interjecting. Is that mini trucking is more than just you know, uh, you know going in your garage and you know hibernating and building a truck you build it because you have this whole community to work with and that wants to work with you and you want to be a part of and so the, you know everything you do in your life is going to have a piece of that you know that truck's part of it so this was a perfect opportunity to to, to um to bring that out as in a in a and not just in a feature but in an entire cover um, and, uh, it was, it's, it was a new way of thinking, but we were the new way of doing things. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. And, and speaking of that, um, summer 90. So your last cover credited for mini trucking was Robert Hess's 720 Mindbender. And how cool was that? You kind of got the diner feel, right? I mean, the girl coming out on the skates, the truck backed in, you know, him looking up at her, you got a live background, you know, there's people over there eating, eating, but, it, I mean, dude, awesome. Yeah, and that happened at an event that was right there. Uh, and a few months
1: later, there was a cover of street machines that came out that had a pink 58 Corvette blown, uh, unbelievable 58 Corvette. We shot that at the same time. Again, it was like we're shooting the mini truck cover. Oh, here's this other bitch in car for a whole different world.
0: Yep, that aren't going to cross paths. Boom, let's do it
1: and but it's like influenced you know yes
0: yeah absolutely.
1: The, the the trick totally custom corvette didn't influence the mini truck the mini truck influenced what we did with that oh yeah with the, with the corvette and yeah that was that was a really fun cover and it was and it came together really quickly and again it was a matter of vision just seeing okay how do we play this and doing it that was one of those on the fly kind of visionary things that you just kind of go, yeah, that's how we should do this. It would be cool. And it would look great.
0: Yeah. And the, and the, the success was there, man, you guys were seeing it.
1: Yeah. It is. And, uh, what it was a really, it was a nice truck. Um, but you know, the great part about trucks like that, it was a nice truck, but it was an achievable build that you could look at and go, you know, if you were in, North Dakota, you could go, I can build this truck. Yeah. Go I can build a lear, one like that
0: lear camper, topper shell, some wheels, lower it, boom. You know, it was all attainable. It,
1: yeah, and it, it really showed that no matter where you were at, you could build something like that. Oh yeah. You could do I can do that. It's not so I don't have to have a fifty thousand dollar budget and access to a chrome shop to make it to make the truck I bought. Look, oh, yeah. I can do this. You know, and yeah, was it a nice truck? Super nice truck, you know, but it, it looked, it was achievable. And I think um, that's part of the magic that was the mini truck community then. And, you know, Jason, it seems to be spinning right back around. It seems to be, the whole thing seems to be heating up again. And it's so exciting to see and be a
0: part of. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on, Alan, and we've seen, some guys getting a little older. I mean, I am into collecting the bikes. You know, I don't have as I don't have the biggest collection, but I've got my little fair share of mongoose, which I grew up riding. As you know, you know, kind of some of your era was you know the banana seats and the stuff my dad would talk about, and you know the BMX bikes come in, and you were a part of that, of course, as well. But it's kind of cool because a lot of us have gotten to an age where we go, you know, we're never gonna live forever. Let's, you know, enjoy life while we can, you know, decent paying job here and there. And, and things, although kind of got out of hand in many trucking with the biggest wheels and the lowest and the most chrome, a lot of guys are getting back to the roots going, hey, man, static drop, camper shell, topper, love and life, man.
1: Yeah, and to me, that's so exciting. I mean, the when, when all you would see in the pages were the high buck vehicles, you lose your sense of I can do that. You almost feel like driving yours, bringing yours out. I'm driving something inferior. It's not as cool. And and this, this was really um, something that again, Steve and I, you know, particularly Steve looked at right from the beginning was he was very, very close friends. And then I became friends with as well with, with Boyd Connington. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, um, in fact, I, I, a little funny story is um, when the, it was like 80, maybe 88, the new Chevy shape came out, <clears throat> and it was GMC and Chevy trucks, and uh, Steve bought one of the first ones and took it right to Boyd, and Boyd, you know, lowered it in tires and wheels and did some nice stuff to it. But he was also building at that time a chop-top GMC truck, which was an exclusive going to be exclusively covered in trucking mm-hmm. okay so he's the, the the and that truck had to be you know like i said brand new truck and they were chopping it and channeling it, doing all kinds of really trick stuff to it so every day i was i had access to boyd's shop and i would you know steve and i would one of us would go over and we'd shoot progress shots every day awesome. well the really awesome part of that story is right next to that built in this being built in the same space was something that was exclusive to Hot Rod, and it was Cadzilla being built oh, for Billy Gibbons. Yeah,
0: yeah, Cadzilla, Billy Gibbons, ZZ Top, and
1: so they were being built like next to each other. So every day we'd go over and we'd shoot progress of the trucks. Well, we would also sneak some shots of the progress of Cadzilla.
0: Very cool.
1: So we had all those shots of Kanzilla being built up. So we were talking with, when it was done, when both vehicles were done and it was a year later or something, we were, I think we were at SEMA show the year after and they were, both vehicles were there. And we were talking with the guys from Hot Rock Magazine and they told us, they go, <laughs> they were laughing and I said, we got shots of that whole thing being, your whole truck being built. And we went, yeah. Look, we got shots of Godzilla being—they <laughs> were doing exactly the same thing that we were doing. Yeah, they're like uh, spin their back, back around,
0: and click, spin their back around, click. Yeah, it was—it was really funny. But um, so,
1: but we had this connection with Boyd, and Boyd was building these high-dollar street rods. Yep. And because they were so cool, I mean, and they were pretty darn cool. Um, all of a sudden, all the pages for street rider for hot rod and for custom rider and all that stuff and rod and custom all of, the, all of a sudden that's all they were showing were these high dollar street rods. Well, that had a negative effect on their space because now the guys that were building budget cars that were, you know, didn't have a hundred thousand rods built. Yep. They couldn't compete with that. And they pretty soon they lost kind of their momentum. They kind of lost, you know, what they were doing. They didn't care anymore. So, um, we noted that really quickly. Going, you can't just have the baddest builds. Mm-hmm. You gotta have. You gotta have a mixture. Every issue had to have. You know, we looked at it and we go. We've got tech. We've got. So do we have an easy tech story? Do we have a you know involved tech story? Do we have super trick truck? Do we have? an attainable truck, mm-hmm. um, do we have a lifestyle stories? Do we have, you know, we needed to have the components so that when you looked at every page, there was something that was relevant to you as a reader and to you as a truck owner or a truck builder. So there had to be something relevant on every page. And that goes for trucking and it really went, you know, even more for mini trucking. Oh yeah. Because uh, we, we were dealing with a younger with a younger crowd and we knew that we had to educate them. We had to educate the readers on a, a pace. So that yeah, could you under, could you do a four-link rear suspension in your garage? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't have all the equipment. But you'd go, Oh, I understand how that works yes. now. Why I would why I would want to have one. Yep. If I would even need one. Uh, but we'd always do stories you know, a lot of stories on just simple suspension tricks or simple body, you know, body mods, simple interior, so that you kind of go, "Hey, I can't do the ten thousand dollar trick thing, but I can do the hundred dollar yeah pool and, thing."
0: And, and you kind of gained under- it to start- the advertisers too a little bit too.
1: Yeah, and because you didn't, you know, not everyone was going to be, you know, a Boyd Coddington kind of offering mm-hmm. you're going to have and, and we were very much trying to drive the trends of w- what is hot and but at the same time not being judgmental is going all right that maybe isn't as cool as but it's a trend it's happening oh yeah so we need to talk about it you know and even even to a fact where there was this one advertiser we had called um, wingmaster and they did wings for like the dualies, the big
0: oh right 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 uh, yeah
1: i was at their shop and it was uh, i think in van nuys and we're going you know these things are not cheap you know and i was doing an install story and they're not cheap and they're not you know they they were all aluminum they're really pretty but they were they they cost you some bucks and i had a pair on my i I knew on my azuzu i had a pair of um windshield wiper wings okay and they weren't the plastic you know ones they were metal and i had gotten i had gotten them uh made them from a form uh that came off of a a windshield wiper for a pantera for a de tomaso pantera and they had these little wiper wings on so that when you hit 160 miles an hour it didn't push the um the windshield wiper up the windshield it pushed it down against the windshield Okay. So, so we just, you know, I took one of those and I went, okay, how do I form this a little different, make it a little cooler, and make it so, and so, we made it so it would literally clip on to your windshield wiper, but it just looked sweet. It just looked, it was real subtle and looked really cool. Mm-hmm. So I showed this to the to the Wings West guys. Well, they started making them, and they were selling them for like nineteen ninety nine for the pair, mm-hmm. and the, there was the $8.99 ninety nine nine ninety nine plastic versions that look like little uh, louvers or something. But as soon as these little other ones showed up, it was like, those are cool. And they were, they were inexpensive and they looked neat. And they were like instantly instant gratification. You could just slip them right on and they would clip on. Um, But those were kind of one of those things where we took this, you know, a trend that from the truck side, from the full size dually guys that were buying these big, huge wings and, How do we make something that's cool for the mini trucker that doesn't cost six hundred bucks? It costs twenty bucks, but it had you know it it satisfies a need right now while you're still building up for that big thing, whether it's you know audio or paint or whatever it is that you're gonna spend you know a thousand bucks on. But you wanna do something now. You wanna continue to improve, you wanna continue to kind of Feed your passion.
0: Yes, exactly. So You've got to have was, those different price points too. You know, that's important.
1: So it was always a matter of trying to find that right formula for the magazine that would fit what everybody would, you know, something for everyone. Uh, but never trying to sell out to simply an advertiser. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and shoehorning something because, you know, it would work. Like, you know, uh, how would you put, you know, how do you fit nitrous on your double A fuel dragster? What good would that do? Nobody's doing that in this community.
0: Right. We're talking with Alan Paradise and Alan, you've given us so much gold. I appreciated everything from kind of the early days of mini trucking with the covers you shot, but also tying in some of the things that many of us didn't know about the original logo. I got a couple more things for you though. I want to talk about, you know, Courtney for a moment and Steve Stilwell, and then we'll probably see if there's anything else you want to, to share. But as I mentioned earlier, you know the world lost Steve Stillwell last month, and you know I don't have many regrets, but I, I do regret not making it happen with Steve because Steve had agreed a couple times. You know, hey, y'all, yeah, come on. You know, just kind of in in light passing, kind of like you know someone goes, hey, Alan, you should come on the podcast, and oh yeah, cool, and you know it happens in podcasting, and then you know next thing you know, a year goes by. And you know, I enjoyed Steve's editorials for so long. I mean, his photography, his passion. You know, the Phantom Dooley, so many different projects. But you know, kind of giving a little tribute to Steve. You know, someone you you knew, arguably maybe better than a lot of people. Um, you know, is there any? What would you like to share about Steve and his legacy, man? Well, I, you know, it's what people might not know
1: is, uh, of course, he was he was a truck guy and and. uh but also was, you know, very much into the bikes, you know, biker, uh, he worked at easy rider before, um, coming over to McMullen and working on uh, street rider and then, and then creating truck and magazine. Uh, but he had a presence that, um, uh, is, was not probably readily realized, but when he, he, when he walked into a room, You wanted to hear what he had to say Uh, and um, because you knew it was going to be relevant. and You knew you were going to be able to glean information and knowledge from what he had to say. But he was such a, how do you say, passive-aggressive, maybe, teacher. He knew how to coach and how to teach you uh, what he needed you to know and how to bring the best out in every person that was on staff. Um, there are so many things when you look at the the finished product and you enjoy, you know, get in your, when you got it in your mailbox or you pull it off the newsstand, what you didn't see was the commitment to creating something, not for just the, the idea of creating it, but for creating it for you for the person who was going to read it that was always paramount with him how is this benefiting the reader how are they going to get enjoyment from it? what information is going to make that's going to make them love their sport of trucks or mini trucks more um it was a it was something that he looked at every single day we used to walk through that door at 7 7 seven thirty in the morning oftentimes Uh, not leaving until 7 or 7.30 that night. And not because we had so much to do that we couldn't get it all done. Mm -hmm. We just had so much to say. We just had so much to say. We didn't want to stop saying it Uh, it. and figuring. So uh, he was really dedicated to the reader. And when um, I know that when he left McMullen and went over to um, Y Visionary, uh, which was a new entity, and um, I was not part of his staff then. I was I was already doing other things, but um, and he brought Brian and Courtney with him. He did that with a a, a lot of uh, sorrow that he had to leave Truckin to do it to, c- to continue to create the publication. He felt was speaking to the base. But he was excited to do it and create a new, a new, a new thing, and it became the thing for the space again.
0: Oh yeah, and did. he could do.
1: And I don't think he got enough appreciation uh, from the business side of the publishing world for what he did.
0: Yeah, and I was, I guess, I was a little stunned. You know, when he passed, that you know, I thought. And this isn't a slight because, again, you know, a lot of younger folks and and folks, you know, not everybody knows everybody's name in the industry. Totally get it, right? But I grew up reading the magazines. I just thought – I was hoping there would be more love shown to Steve, and I want to make sure we do that the rest of this year and even years in the future. Um, I know when I looked at his his Facebook, you know, like Kevin Yee had chimed in and said – you know, R.I.P. Steve Stillwell. You touched so many lives, built up several industries, and had such a profound impact on me and my family. Uh, going back to the Yee Publishing and things like that. But you know, to me, I I I can't thank Steve enough, and even his family. You know, I, I know he's got you know his kids and things like that. But I want them to know that, and all of the enthusiasts out there to know that truly, as Alan and I have kind of laid out through you know through Alan's storytelling here. I mean, we wouldn't, in my opinion, we wouldn't be where we are today without the visionary of Steve. You know, you may not end up with a mini trucking, you know, with that relationship that Steve built with Alan. And then you may not, you know, street trucks, August 99, uh, you know, first issue, you know, so all of this, where we're at today, a lot of things has to go to Steve. And and that's what I wanted to reinforce.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it hit pretty hard uh, when that happened. And, and I I generally I'm not the kind to of write that kind of stuff on yeah. a Facebook on Facebook page yeah, and yeah. stuff because oh, it, I know. because it, uh, I mean it, it, I just don't want to come off disingenuous or just trying to make it up as we go along just to, for the yeah. reason of it you know I, but you feel it you know and and uh, in conversation like this it's kind of diff- it's different it is, I, yeah. I, I will express that but I, 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 it was it was difficult I was going to and I went you know whatever I write wouldn't be good enough. Yeah. Oh,
0: I know. And I just, you know, and, and I didn't even really mean from, even from the friends, but I just, you know, from the industry, you know, to, to see yeah. to see people chime in and just know. And again, there were some people that did and I'm thankful for that, but I just really want people to know kind of what we established today is what so many of you know out there, the listeners that, you know, Steve Stillwell, I mean, was an amazing figure in our truck scene and, you know, from the sport truck era to the full sizes, the classic trucks that he loves so much. I mean, he really a tip of the cap and salute to him because, you know, like you said, man, he he was a force, man.
1: Well, I can tell you that there are there two people um, that I think that their respective industries, you know, didn't realize the genius and the brilliance that they that they were amongst when, when they were, when he was around and, and one of them is Steve. And the other one is Tom, the mongoose McEwen. Yes. Um, and Tom and I were very, really, really close. And, you know, uh, but I don't think that it hit the, neither the drag racing industry, nor the publishing world understood everything that Tom has done, for, did for them and created and progressed for their industry. And it's the same thing with Steve. Um, I would say that, in a lot of ways he transformed how we look at and yes. how we look and how we feel about and how we create enthusiast based automotive publications.
0: Yeah, and you think about Tom McBullen, right? Because I, I did I think it was last year I did like a lead up to SEMA, and I look back and researched the history of it. And I mean his name goes back to those those early days in sixty three, which is which is amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there were there were three guys that, in my opinion, that that made McMullen publishing Tom McMullen, Bob Clark, who's you know uh, still lives in or in uh, Diamond Bar, I think. brilliant guy, and Steve Stillwell.
0: yep, yeah. Rest in peace, Steve. Last thing I got for you, man, um Courtney Halliwell, you know you you spent a lot of time with them. We've had Mrs. Hallowell on, just an amazing woman. You know, we we have our friends, you know, today that are even helped raise money, you know, for the Courtney Hallowell Foundation, working with Mrs. Hallowell, uh, Rose Works, and, and David Magotti, and just great folks, and, and a lot of folks. I mean, Courtney's legacy has lived on, and when we talk about an amazing legacy, um, you have maybe one funny Courtney story. I know there's probably a lot. Uh, you know Courtney going back, like you said, many, many, many years, kind of growing up, uh, you know, Courtney growing up in that Southern California uh, lifestyle and whatnot. But is there any one thing that you sometimes think of and smile when you think of the amazing Courtney Hallowell?
1: Well, you know, what brings what comes to mind with, with Courtney was he had a, a way of, whether, you knew, whether you've knew known him for a long time or whether you just met him, of he made you feel like you were best friends. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of funny stories because he was a funny guy. Um, you know, probably the one I would, I think I touched on a little bit and West coast influence, but every first Sunday of every month, uh, was the council meeting in, in, uh, at Lake Lake park up in LA, up in, uh, El Monte area. So we all have to drive, we, you know, from San Diego, we'd all drive up there. And when you do that as a club, you caravan and, uh, you know, it got to be at any club meeting, any council meeting, there would be three or 400 trucks, you know, there. And so we'd caravan up. And so uh, Matters not the club that I was in, we would we'd all leave as a group. And uh, we got up there, and uh, Class Act wasn't around. We went, wow, they're usually, you know, either a little before us or a little after us. We didn't usually caravan together, but they were... Uh, they were usually up about the same time. Well, it turns out that um, they had a they had a wreck. And they all kind of ran into each other because they're all caravan. And at first you thought, okay, that's kind of sad, you know. Um, but he was the first one to coin the phrase, it was a crash accident. <laughs> so, you know, so it was class act, a crash accident. And it, it wasn't anyone, you know, he embraced that and kind of joked about it. Uh-huh. You know, and I know it. I know it hurt him, but and hurt everyone in the club that it happened, but, uh, he had a way of just putting everything in perspective and keeping, it keeping everything on, in a, on a positive note and making you feel like you guys were buddies and had been forever. like I said, even if you just met him, oh, so yeah. he was, a, you know, and, and he had a unique perspective, um, that was really fun. And, uh, and carried through, and he he gave a lot to the community, and it was when he was hired. It was it was funny because we told him you got you know you got to put on a tie and everything the interview, <laughs> you know, like that is like the last thing he would have. In <laughs> that. So he came up to the interview with Steve with the tie on and everything, and you know he kind of got ribbed about that. And um, but we you know I think it was Mike who actually instigated that. <laughs> So it was, and probably it was the last time he wore a tie, I think. But, uh, uh, you know, he, he did a lot for the community. And he was, uh, I said, as a figure, as a f- person, he, you know, he was kind of a, a, a central figure as to what a mini trucker is.
0: Yeah, he was. And how ironic you guys grew up in the same area right? I think he was kind of Escondido, but I always think of like San Diego and the greater community. You guys couldn't have been uh, that far at, from each other. No, he grew up in S- Santee. Oh, Santee. That's right. Santee.
1: Santee. And I grew up in La Mesa, which is probably 10 minutes from each other. And we um, you know, in this, the central cruising spot was second street in El Cajon. And uh, that's actually where we met the first time. Uh, it was really one night. Awesome. Uh, yeah.
0: And another thing, Uh, Alan, that I've noticed during this interview is you have an amazing memory. My dad always had a really good memory, but like when you mentioned how many covers you shot earlier, and you can recall like when we're talking about, oh, yeah, 1989, and you're like, oh, yeah, I flew into Florida and we shot Red Hot. Like, man, dude, you, (laughs) I got to figure out what vitamins you might be taking. Maybe it's just the genes, but dude, I tell you what, man, tip of the cap to your memory.
1: uh, Indelible. You know, people, indelible images. Uh, you know, when you when you have such I think there are certain things that you just have that stick with you because you enjoyed it so much.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't disagree at all. But I tell you, man, I feel like I could talk. I feel like I've known you forever. Um, you know, it's been really awesome reminiscing and I think, you know, I definitely hit on some of the questions I wanted to to really kind of pick your brain. I mean, you gave us so much gold, man. I mean, I really mean that and and before I maybe ask you if there's anything else, um, is there anything maybe that that you wanted to cover? Uh, I know you dabbled, a little, you know, you talked a little bit about uh, what you're doing now. D- did you want to cover that before I maybe ask you if there's anything else, or uh, you know, wh- anything else on your mind? Uh, no, I
1: mean, what yeah, I think I think we yeah. <laughs> kind of went probably more down more rabbit <laughs> holes than we, than we thought about doing. No, what I'm what I do now and what I've been doing for the last, you know, I don't know. 15 years is just working in the motion picture and television industry um so uh trying to create film and uh i get a couple of tv shows that were in development and things like that we're trying to get them bring them to fruition but uh, uh and a couple other couple films that are getting close so uh and i think probably the one that's most interesting to this group would be a movie that released about eight ten years ago called Snake and Mongoose about Tom McEwan and Don Perdome the racers in the you know uh, so I think it's available on I don't know prime or something but uh, yep. still but it was in theaters and and, uh, and whatnot and it's a good movie uh, so which so that probably from the car community that's probably the closest one very cool that would be interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm a big movie fan as I mentioned earlier and I, you know, a big Goonies fan and and thinking back, I recently heard kind of a story that I had heard way back, but you know, talking about how kind of Chris Columbus had gotten his break and then of course he went on to, you know, if you think about Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire and some of the movies he directed, but you know, I always think of his name for some of my favorite movies. Also something I learned that, you know, you being from California, I'm sure you've heard this, but I've always, I never thought I'd get a chance to go to the Warner Brother Ranch, right? Not the back lot, as some of the listeners may kind of, you know, pique their interest. But the, the ranch is kind of off limits. But I had found out recently that it was sold late last year, and they're going to just basically mow it down. And they're going to build new yeah. sound studios and what. But, man, it's hard to think when you think of, like, the Christmas Vacation House and you think of, um, you know, so many different motion pictures, the Lethal Weapon House and and, uh, you know, the Bewitched and things like that. I'm hoping I can get out there and get on the, the ranch before it's mowed down. But I tell you what, man, movies and TV, they're really a, a huge part of our culture, man. And, and that's awesome what you're doing.
1: Well, I say, you're, you, uh, you're a Junies fan. Have oh, you yeah. been to Astoria? Have you been to Astoria?
0: I finally Where it was made film? it in 2019, man. And I tell you what, dude, I was solo by myself, but I was a kid in a candy store.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty wild. I mean they
0: they really embrace it. Oregon really
1: embraces their the, the uh film history that they have, you know, with Stand by Me and um, and uh others and yep. so, you know, but the Goonies shop right in Astoria and all those all those the you can tour. I mean, I think did you go on a, on the Tour or
0: no, and I wish I had because there was, you know, I wanted to go, I wanted, uh, you know, with movie site locations being such a big thing now, I kind of wanted to go and hit on all of the little pieces, and I had a short time, I spent most of my time at what, as you know, is now the Oregon Film Festival, or museum, and that was ironic because they have a little mini truck inside. I went inside there, and they have a Nissan hard-body cab, which is how you can, they simulate kind of how a movie's made. I go, I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> But um, when I went, it was also around the time that the family that owned or continues to own, I don't know, they didn't even want traffic walking up to take a, a photo in front of the house. And I guess that sense changed a little bit. Uh, you know, they were a little ticked with people supposedly vandalizing or leaving trash and, you know, as anyone would get upset. But I do hope to go back. Um, I did get a chance to go up to where the uh, Fratelli's hideout was at, you know, up that state park. But I never went down. On the Canon I think it was Cannon Beach. You know, I got a chance to see the yeah. haystacks from afar, but not down on the beach there. Well, if you get if you get out to
1: Oregon, let me know.
0: Oh yeah, dude! Cool, I cool. tell you, man, I was so so excited. But uh, that that's very cool, man. And like I said, dude, it's, you're very gracious to take this amount of time, and we can't thank you enough, Alan.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Anytime, anytime.
0: Rest in peace, Steve Stillwell. Rest in peace, Courtney Hollowell. To the all time greats and uh, everyone. Have a safe weekend. We're going to wrap this episode up. Stay on the rise. And, Alan, thank you again, brother.
1: My pleasure.